Tea with Toby. 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 Toby. Tea with Toby. Tea with Toby. Welcome to season five of our Tea with Toby podcast. This season, our focus is all about elevating social care, and we touch on a number of key and topical subjects vital to growing care organisations. On this episode, we have a two-part special, and we'll be joined by Rachel Anstey, partner at Hazelwoods, and Derek Briggett, head of health and social care at Virgin Money. We'll be discussing best practices for optimal financial health and how growth-focused care operators can become investment-ready. Diving straight into part one, let's hear from Rachel. Hi, Toby. Thanks, first of all, for inviting me today. Um, my name's Rachel Anstey. I'm a partner in a firm of accountants called Hazelwoods, um, which specialises in looking after operators in the care sector. Awesome. So, Rachel, in Tea with Toby fashion, we're going to dive straight in. And we're going to be talking about a subject that actually I really enjoy, which is finances, but I know that not everyone does. But what we're going to do today is we're going to keep it super practical, jargon-free as well. And we want it to be super educational. So just starting from the top, let's talk about financial records and the importance of it. Why is it important that operators keep up-to-date financial records? I mean, look, it's, it's important for every business that they've got strong financial records. Um, regular management accounts, reliable, timely management accounts, cash flow forecasts, etc. You know, this is one of the main pillars of a successful successful business. And without it, how can they plan their business, control it, make decisions? So it's absolutely crucial. And can you, have you got an example of having, you know, having these metrics to hand, what you can actually project from an operator's point of view? Look, if you've got um, you, you you should be predicting preparing forecasts for your business for a couple of years ahead. So, you know, so you can, you can confidently, well, not confidently, but you can stress test it. So you can say, what if my interest rate increases by another percentage point? What if my resident uh, occupancy reduces from 90% to 85%? What if these costs increase, et cetera, et cetera? And that will then allow you to to look at your forecasts and say, mm, I think I might need some extra debt, for instance, mm. or I might need to reduce the amount I'm taking for the business, or I might need to look at these costs. But it just puts you in a stronger position if you can do that well ahead rather than panicking at the last minute, oh, my God, I can't pay the wages next month. Absolutely. And I, I remember I'm part of that. I used to be part of a, a, a trustee of a charity and one of the uh, trustee meetings, they used to always say, what is our death date? It doesn't sound great, but how long can we operate if we receive no extra funding with these costs? You know, some months it was you know, 11 months, some months, you know, two and a half months. But having that figure really en- enabled us to sort of say, okay, great, we need to start fundraising as well. Yeah, but you take... You- don't take that for granted. Many care businesses won't have that level of financial control. I was reading an article um, on the way here today that was asking care businesses, um, care operators, how long they could continue to trade without going into a deficit. And I think it was about a third of them said they didn't know. Wow. Which speaks volumes. They can't have that level of financial control. Absolutely. And I guess it's important to know, you know, whatever size your 
care home is, for example, what is your break-even point? At what, you know, scenarios of if the interest rates were to increase by X percent, what would that mean for our for our for our profit, for our operating profit, etc.? Yeah. So that's that's super important. A question to you is: When is the right time for a care organisation to actually take on a leader for their finance team? This is, it isn't really a one-size-fits-all. It really depends on the size of the operations, um, what type of care, the complexity. But I would, as a general rule, I would say earlier, slightly earlier than you think you need because it's great to have that person or that, those people in place in advance. Obviously subject to cost. There's cost implications here, but don't leave it too late. I've got clients that have got, you know, a... a good sized care groups and are only just trying to appoint an accountant, which is mad. So what were they doing? Were they doing it themselves? Or? They'll have bookkeepers, um, people doing the finances, but they won't have anyone pulling that all together, leading that. It will be the operator. Mm. And the operator is probably spending far too much time on that type of stuff, which is important, but they should be doing other things. They should be pushing the business forward and you know, strategizing rather than worrying about the monthly management accounts. Absolutely. So let's, let's, let's stay on that track. So I can probably imagine there are some operators who, when they originally started the business, they just set it up. They didn't really think about the structure of the company. Um, and maybe, you know, the business is still in their name. Can you talk a little bit about having the right structure and some of the implications of having the wrong structure in place? You're right, that does happen a lot or has happened in the past a lot. And um, you'll find that operators have uh, often set up as a partnership, perhaps husband and wife business, which is obviously commonplace in the care sector. They they incorporated because their accountant at the time said, oh, you pay less tax if you incorporate. But look, leave those properties outside and the bank debt because if you put them in the company, you'll pay stamp duty again. You've paid stamp duty when you bought them. You don't want to pay stamp duty again. And that, that setup is something that's been really common. There are properties outside owned by Mr. and Mrs., rented to the limited company, but that causes all sorts of tax problems, capital gains tax, inheritance tax, income tax, all the taxes, really. So that's, that's something that we've worked with, on, with a lot of operators to um, rectify, shall we say. And what would be happening in uh, a business's life cycle that they will then realise that, oh, actually, it's a bit too late. I'm going to have to pay the implications of not having the right structure in place. Well, hopefully it's never too late. Well, if the, the implication could be if they sold, the, they were selling their business and they have a setup like that or others that aren't particularly tax efficient and it's just too late to do anything about it in that some tax reliefs on sale, you have to have everything in place for a couple of years before sale. And if, if you don't want to wait that time, yeah. if you, you, you've got an urgency to sell and you can't wait for that to be rectified, then it's too late. So it, it's, it's really important to have a proper structure review, you know, a few years before you're looking to sell. Okay. To bring that to life, have you got any examples of someone who maybe got it really wrong? Yeah, to... I've got one example. It's not, it's not, for some people, this might not be a huge example, but 
it's a really small thing. So I had a, a client that was a children's nursery, husband and wife business. She ra effectively ran the business. The husband was a director, but he also worked somewhere else. And his employer had a, an issue over him being a director of, a, of another company. So unbeknown to us, he resigned as a director. And then they looked to sell. And it, tried, it came out that he was no longer a director and hadn't been for the last year. And one of the conditions of one of the tax reliefs on sale was that he needed to either be an employee or a director. And he wasn't. And it cost them £100,000 in capital gains tax, just that tiny minor thing yeah and that's a that's an expensive uh, yeah that's an expensive thing let's talk about general tax planning because i think we all know all businesses know that you should be doing general tax planning but it's probably not exciting to them because they don't know what's possible and i i know we said we're going to keep this um you know not too jargon heavy but can you just tease us a little bit about maybe some of the things that operators could do if they had someone on board sort of leading the, the, the tax planning. Yeah, okay. Who wants to pay more tax than they need to, whether that's personal tax or yeah. company tax? Um, and any accountant should be giving an operator general proactive tax planning. Nothing clever, but just the basics. But it's amazing how many aren't. But a few things to, to perhaps touch upon. A lot of care operators have multi-generational businesses, and a lot of care operators also have children in private education, which comes at a cost. So there is an opportunity around bear trusts where, again, without going into too much detail, let's say you've got um, mum and dad and their two children have come into the business and they're now having children or had children and they're, they're at private school. Mm. Um, I'll give you an example. of I went to see a client the other day where Mum and dad were in their 70s and they were paying the school fees mm. out of dividends they were taking from the company. So they were paying a huge amount of personal tax. Yeah. But it's possible, if done in the right way, to transfer a small amount of shares from the grandparents to the children via something called a bear trust. So then, yeah. so then instead <laughs> of the grandparents having the dividends the bear trusts and the children have the dividends pay tax at a much lower rate. Okay, that's really interesting. Yeah, I must caveat that though, because there have been unscrupulous operators, and operators, unscrupulous um, professionals out there who yeah. have suggested that you can, if the grandparents don't already have shares, you can just transfer shares into their name and they can then transfer them back to the ah. children. That That is... Okay. So really if, if it's already set up, yes. this is some. So there's probably going to be a load of um, family uh, businesses, operators who have, probably have this foundation in place, and then you know Absolutely. this is something that they can explore. Yeah. Definitely. Okay, I lo I love this type of stuff. I know we didn't want to go to the. Is there any other you know? Yeah, yeah. There's something called uh, that's quite popular at the moment called family investment companies okay. or FIC, as people are right. jargoning them. Yeah. And it's an inheritance tax planning vehicle primarily and it works in a lot of different scenarios but one that might be of interest is where a care business has got surplus cash it they don't want the the owners don't want to take out any more money personally because they'll pay more personal tax yeah. but they want to do something with that money they want to invest it so what they could do is set up a, a family investment company which sits above their trading company 
they can move money up without paying any tax and then they can perhaps um, invest that in stocks and shares or just something a bit that's generating some money and they can perhaps give their um, children, grandchildren, whatever, shares in that company. I'm not an expert in that area, but it can work, uh, especially when there's surplus cash. Awesome. And these are the things that people can just explore a little bit more further. I had a chat with um, uh, one of our clients. One of the things that they were exploring was, say, a leaseback. I'd love to just, I don't know too much about that, but I'd just love to, um, if you could just give an overview of what it is, really basic, and just some basic pros and cons for someone that maybe hasn't heard of it before. Yeah, like you, it's not my my area of expertise is owner managed businesses, mm. and and sale and leaseback tends to be at the the bigger corporate end. Okay. But um, what it means is that an operator who owns their freehold properties and also runs them could sell their properties or some of their properties to a REIT or an institution and then rent those properties back from them. And that allows them to, they will sell their properties, so they might pay off their debt or they may take some more money out personally. On the other side of the coin, they've still got the business to run and they're renting it from a REIT or an institution. And the rent could be pretty aggressive, potentially, pretty high, and they've got to, they've got to be able to meet that rent. They've still got the pressures of having to run the business well, um, especially in an inflationary environment as we're in now. The costs are going up, so it doesn't come without its pressures. Oh, I think I think these types of things, you know, some things it may not be relevant, but is there another another sort of consideration that operators can consider as well? Yeah, you, operators may have heard of something called VAT contract restructuring. Interesting. Bit of a mouthful, but uh, this sector, yeah, uh, care yeah. providers can't claim back. Absolutely, VAT. yeah. So in certain circumstances, operators who have an, a good element of local authority fees okay. might be able to reclaim some of their VAT. Mm. Essentially, um, it depends on the proportion of local authority to private. It depends on where they are geographically, because some. Local authorities are on board with it, happy to comply if you like. Some are not, and some are sitting on the fence. So it really depends. But if you, your business fits the model, yeah. you could be looking at you know getting back a good chunk of your VAT each year. And if you're doing building projects, that can be really attractive. Mm. So it's worth exploring. And could that also... Uh, work with domiciliary care businesses that maybe have a portfolio of local authority clients. It and could, private. it could. The only thing I would caveat that is that um, obviously with Doncare, you don't tend to have the property costs okay. that you have in residential or nursing care. Mm. So you might find that a Doncare's input VAT that they're paying isn't as large. Mm. I was talking to one in London who has got an expensive rent. So that might be relevant there. Okay. But typically, dom care businesses tend to have smaller operations, don't they, in terms of um, property? Absolutely. So, you know, we just touched on, you know, four really interesting um, there's tax strategies or financial strategies. So there's definitely more exploring. But at the same time, are there any strategies that, 
operators should maybe be a bit wary of just to be careful careful of yeah definitely there's one that's been out in the press quite a bit so there's there's a piece of tax legislation called r&d tax credits research and development tax credits yeah and they've been around for years and historic you would generally think of a business like a it business or a um digital agency yeah maybe company. Yeah, yeah manufacturing business that might be doing something innovative cutting edge hasn't been done before that's the sort of words that are used in the legislation but over the last couple of years there have been a couple of um more than a couple there have been some boutique um agencies that have been heavily targeting the care sector and saying you can claim r&d tax credits but if you do anything to do with care plans then you can claim to use an example one of my clients has had a seven hundred thousand pounds corporation tax refund oh wow um if it seems too good to be true it probably is and now we're starting to see the the other side of the coin because the revenue have issued a release and they've sent it to many many care businesses around the country saying we we think that these sectors of which one is care homes doesn't really qualify or generally qualify for R&D tax credits and when we're now starting to see the tax inquiries roll in as well wow so you could find that if you've had carried out one of these claims you could find that you have to pay back some or all of the tax you might have some pretty hefty penalties yeah and worst case scenario you know, some of these companies that have been doing this they've taken some very hefty percentage fees are they going to disappear into the sunset as well so you worst case scenario you have to pay the tax back you have some penalties and you don't get your fee back and that and that r and the tax credit like area is not really regulated as well right their business completely they're... unregulated mm. yeah anyone can set up doing it as far as i understand okay and are there any other things that sound too good to be true like claiming back on certain things that operators should maybe be Worry I mean, you know, you might be thinking of capital houses, but that is still a very valid um, area of tax planning. Mm. If you've got a property on which a claim hasn't been made, obviously it's important that you um, engage with a proper surveyor who understands the sector and has got a good track record of doing it. I have heard um, off the record that, that some of these R&D tax credit companies may be doing capital houses as well. I suspect they aren't surveyors, so I would I would go with a, a reputable company with a, a long track record of doing it. I would agree as well. <laughs> awesome. We've got a question that we're asking all of our guests on this uh, this season, and the question is: Forgetting about the how in an ideal situation in an ideal world, what would be one thing you'll implement in the care sector that you think will make a positive impact? I think for me, it would. I think we should be looking at having a cross-party agreement on care for the long term because it seems to me that you know things get su uh, suggested in terms of policy, and when we, when a government gets close to being re-elected or not re-elected, then it becomes too difficult and it gets put by the wayside. So I think if we had a cross-party long-term collaboration on what we're going to do with the care sector and the NHS in terms of reform, I think we'd have a much better chance of getting to a 
good result. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I could talk to you all day long about this. Um, but we'll probably have you back on the show as well. So thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Massive thanks for joining us, Rachel. Let's shift gears and hear from Derek. My name is Derek Bringen. I am the head of health and social care at Virgin Money Bike. I've been in banking since I left school. Um, and I've done various roles within the bank, but in the last 20 years, I've specialised in health and social care only. And I run a team of 20 people who do similar. Lovely, Derek. Tea with Toby Fashion, we're going to dive straight in. And I want to take it from the top. We're living in super disruptive times, financially, politically. So can you give a wider picture of how that affects UK care businesses? Before we dive into the answer to that question, did you know 73% of people expect organisations like yours to understand their unique needs and expectations? And a whopping 98% of professionals say that they benefited from automation as it allows them to save time and focus on more customers. 98%? That's almost everyone. Want to find out more about what your customers expect from your service? Download Salesforce's State of Service report to discover the trends in the market and keep your business in the know. The direct link can be found in the show notes below. Now back to the episode. Sure. I mean, if you think for the last 10 years, we've had a very stable interest rate environment, which has been probably at uh, a lower rate than was, was maybe the standard we would have expected due to the global financial crisis and other matters. So we've been living on a base rate of 0.25% for a long period of time. And we've got complacent and comfortable with that and seen that as the norm. Therefore, borrowing has been relatively cheap. Um, and a lot of people have taken advantage of opportunities and have borrowed to, to achieve those. Subsequently, now we are in a very unstable environment globally and in the UK and that's reflected in inflation and in interest rates which we know just recently went to 5.25% so if you have borrowed or are about to borrow there is a significant impact in that differential and that's causing a little bit of cash flow pressure in quite a few businesses. So we are recording this in August of 2023 and for providers who want to expand, one of the first steps is making sure that they've got their uh, finances secured. So how do care providers best prepare to make sure that they are investment ready? It really is about doing a lot of research, speaking to as many people as possible before you make some decisions. I think the, the, the borrowing market is very active and there are lots of people who are still willing to lend money in the sector. So it's really speaking to several of the banks or the funders to find out what it is they're looking for, what is the likely amount of borrowing that you'll be able to achieve, and what would you do? What would you need to do to maximise that mm. if that's what you are about to achieve? You also have to present a very strong business case. It has to be... Um, has to be thought through it has to be delivered with with you know, the, the proper analysis and the proper understanding that 
you are seeking to get support from an organization that perhaps doesn't know you and doesn't know your business. So you have to present that case mm. as strongly as possible. And you probably should take advice in the creating that particular um, presentation. So using accountants, for example, or other advisors, yeah. so that you give it the best hit and the best opportunity. And in your time, you must have seen a wide range of business cases, strategies. Yeah. In your opinion, what are some of the most successful strategies uh, and business cases that have been presented in? I always go back to the mantra that you shouldn't over-borrow. Do not overstretch yourself. Um, I think traditionally in the UK, we had an approach to lending which was based on property values alone. So the loan-to-value mm. loan set. People still uh, talk about that. People still refer to that as the, the principle. But actually, the loan-to-value is, is a bit spurious in terms of borrowing because the loan-to-value is just what somebody's willing to pay for something at a moment in time or what a valuer perceives that business is worth at a moment in time. Um, at the end of the day, the business has to generate enough income and free cash to pay back any debt it takes on. So you, so this is the balance between, you know, my, my business is worth X, but actually my cash flow says I can only borrow Y. And it's understanding that. Can we talk about that a little bit? Because I know there are some misconceptions when it comes to um, what businesses were. And you've probably heard some um, lofty valuation based on what people believe that their businesses were. But can we talk a little bit more about that on what what some of the misconceptions are around business valuation? Yeah, uh so, so if, if a lender is approaching a valuer, then they're looking for a valuation. There are certain things that we will ask them to, to um, report on. Mm -hmm. They're fairly standard. They will go into a lot of detail in terms of the property, location, demographic, competition, all the things you would expect. But they also go into the financial analysis as well. What they'll do is they'll look at a business and they'll assess what they believe that business could achieve trading-wise, if it was, and the quote is, in the hands of a competent operator. So in assessing that, they will come up with a profit figure, which they believe is the average they would expect somebody to, to achieve. Then they apply a multiple. Mm. The multiple will be driven by market dynamics, comparables in the sector where we've seen other transactions. So... The, the rudimentary example I give is you have a business that um, should make a million pounds a year and the valuer says that is your fair maintainable trade that this business should achieve in the hands of a comp operator. He then says or she says that's worth 10 times that value today in the market and therefore it's worth 10 million pounds. In the loan-to-value world, you could probably then go out to the market and say, I've got a £10 million care business, and therefore, could you lend me 75% of that value or 70% of that value? And you know, there are lenders who will take that approach. However, the reality of that business example is that the operator doesn't achieve £1 million profit, has no intention or no scope to get to a £1 million profit because they run the business in a certain manner. And they only make seven hundred thousand pounds a year profit. Mm. 
but they've borrowed based on a £1 million a year profit. So they've leveraged the business up based on the fair maintainable trade value. Actually, the trading, the free cash available is a lot less. So you're starting to get into overgeared, overleveraged. And I think the example today is if you've borrowed £500,000 over 15 years, 24 months ago, it would roughly cost you £3,500 a month capital of interest. Today, the same loan based on 5.25% base rate and a margin of, say, 3%, we'll be nearer 5,000. So the differential is is significant. Mm. Um, and that's where some of these things start to come unwound. And it's a, it's a, it's a great um, talking point to land on because, as you mentioned at the beginning, the, the current state of the world, and not just the financial market, is unstable. And one of the biggest concerns care providers probably have is those interest rates. Can you share any, you know, how can care providers best mitigate the risk or, or, or those interest rate rises and still operate a company financially? I think when we have stable interest rates, people don't really consider that particular risk. Mm. However, we have, as you say, volatile yeah. times at the moment. We may live in volatile times for the foreseeable future with global conflicts and energy crisis mm. and inflation in the UK, the impact of um, Brexit. And there's a whole lot of macro and micro factors that will impact. Um, so interest rates at the moment are unpredictable. There are people who would forecast where they believe things would be. And you have to follow some of the degree of science in that. Um, however, if that risk is a true risk to your business, because it's an overhead that you ideally would want to control, then there are options where you can go into um, the treasury market and potentially take an interest rate product which could fix your interest rate, for example, or cap your interest rate. And and those are things that a lot of customers currently in um, either taking up or exploring just to give them some certainty that they know where they stand. Um, the risk, of course, is that you, you do that and interest rates fall mm-hmm. and then you feel perhaps you've been penalised um, or similarly you don't do it and interest rates continue to rise. So um, it's a very difficult one. So, and I remember, um, I think it was the Night Frank event we were talking and you shared um, on the importance of having accurate financial records. Um, so from a bank's point of view, what is the importance of that? Can you just give a, a, a an overview to maybe care providers who are looking to um, get loaned who don't have these things in place? Yeah. Everybody speaks passionately about what they do. Mm-hmm. And the sector is, you know, it's a wonderful place to, to, to operate because people are passionate about what they do and they can tell you a fantastic uh, story about the business and what they do and um, the outcomes that they can give for uh, for people. Uh, but the devil's in the detail of how viable is the business. You know, does it actually um, perform financially to justify or sustain it? And what are the trends in that business that would suggest that that business might not be sustainable in the long term or the medium term? So the financial analysis becomes quite key 
in understanding from an operator's point of view how well my business is actually performing. What would my expectations be? And if I'm not quite reaching those, what is it that's causing me not to be at that level? But similarly, if the government then says we're going to introduce a, 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 a um, national minimum wage or national living wage and it's compulsory, this is what it's going to be. Yeah. You need to know what impact that has on your business immediately. So having that access to financial information that you can then actually apply that sensitivity to allows you to then predict what things you might need to do to keep that business on the profitable lane that you need it to be on. It's a bit of a science, um, but it is crucial. And from a bank's point of view, it's clearly important to us to understand that the business can service any obligations that we give them. And we also sensitise things heavily because we're bankers. So, you know, doom and gloom, let's bring everything uh, into some form of sensitivity and let's reduce your occupancy and let's reduce your minimum fee rates and let's increase your staff costs and see where the thing starts to tip. And what are the tolerances then within that? And if an operator doesn't know that and is only doing it because they're coming to a bank, then I'd start to ask, why wouldn't I want to do that than myself anyway? How how bad is it in the care sector in terms of records, financial management accounts? I think during that conversation we're talking about, there are some riders who don't have management accounts. It's another task. It's maybe another expense. It's maybe another time constraint because you've got enough to do during the day. Um, and it's just it's just one of these things that for some businesses, just it's just, a, a, I'll just leave it over there. I check the bank statements. They look all right. If there's a problem, the bank would phone. Um, and that's okay from a bank account point of view, but it doesn't tell you how your business is performing. So some businesses just rely on their annual accounts, probably small businesses. They will rely on their annual accounts. Those will come at the year end. The accountant will come in and get the receipts and do all the books. It might take six to nine months for them to actually be produced as a set of accounts. You then go into the accountant's office and you sign them off and you have a discussion. But you're nine, nine months after the financial year end, and if there was something not quite right within your business performance within those 12 months, it's a long time ago, and you've probably continued to do that all the way through the period till today. So it becomes more difficult there to rectify things. Whereas if you've got quarterly management accounts or half-yearly accounts, you can actually see how your business is performing. Your profitability is dropping. Your occupancy is moving around. You know, all combined, what does this business actually make financially? Is it viable? And can I sustain it? And can I earn a living out of it as well? And there are there are a load of um, family-run uh, care businesses who are now putting things into place and they love the idea of management accounts. From what we do, we run a digital marketing agency. We do marketing for care homes, for example. How important is it for a business to be able to, let's say, for example, they've got two or three care homes, they're going to buy um, a third or four, to be able to predict, okay, we've seen from your account, um, your your net new resident is X, you're getting X amount of inquiries, um, and then to predict the hitting their target 
from um, when they actually go for investment. So anybody presenting a business case to acquire a business would have to give rationale of why they're doing it. Um, what risks are they willing to take to achieve that? And what risks do they want a lender to take as well? And what's the balance of that? And why they think it's a viable opportunity for them in terms of what it could do for the overall business, but also financially, <clears throat> what are the strengths of that acquisition? And does it justify taking on that amount of obligation? So the predictor on all that is that they've already got a successful, hopefully, track record, and they can then add where they think they can bring some of that to the acquisition. So it'd be unusual for somebody to acquire something that's at the top of its performance because the mindset would be the only way is down. You, you want something, most people would acquire something where they felt there's an upside. So they need to work out what that upside is. How do we do that? And convince a lender that actually um, I can show you that I've done it before or I believe I can. I've got marketing, I've got the recruitment sorted out. I've got, you know, all these things are quite important. They justify that ultimately. And if you talk about the actual portfolio of care, does that make a difference in terms of the rates that are being offered? So let's say if a care provider has residential um, behavioral needs, uh, nursing, does that does that make a difference in the rate that they will be offered? Yes, it could do. Um, ultimately, a lender will present their best um, offer based on risk. So what would what are the elements of that business that would allow that business to attract a lower interest margin compared to one that's maybe carrying slightly more risk? And it is on a scale. So um, all those things were taken into account. The What has happened in the sector is I've seen a lot of people starting to diversify where they've had a care business that's traditionally maybe said been nursing. And then they've gone into a bit of residential, then they've maybe moved into specialist. Yeah. So they start to bolt on things. Those make their business more robust in terms of its coverage of different um, aspects of the sector in terms of different parts of care categories, but also might improve their financial standing as well in how they manage that. So, um, so there's a whole lot of factors that will bear out where our assessment would be Similarly, somebody who's taking on a business that's quite very different to what they've done traditionally, yeah, then can they justify why we think, why would they think that's a good thing to do if you've never done it before? So suddenly moving into bariatric here, just really quite complex and needs quite a lot of um, expenditure to facilitate, but you suddenly go down that path. You know, do you have access to that type of client? Do you have the facilities to afford that type of client? the kind of care and environment they need, all that stuff um, comes through. And if it is a bit of a, a leap of faith, then a bank's going to be more cautious, aren't they? Mm-hmm. And if they do see a way to lend, they might they might lend a little bit more, um, more costly and perhaps allow that to be reviewed if things start to go really well. And one of the big subjects right now in the sector is ECG. Um, and I wonder, I'm not sure, are there any benefits for um, or preferential rates for providers who are, you know, sustainable 
is, is that coming into play at the moment or is it are we too early to see it? I don't think we're too early. I think um, some people would argue we're too late. Well, <laughs> they, they, uh, ESG is starting to feature in a lot of conversations. Um, I noticed on the latest CQC um, strategy, they've now got an ESG paragraph in their mm. statements that says we want to see evidence that you are looking at this and that you're doing something around that particular framework. So if the regulator staff is take a little bit of a light touch interest, um, banks are being tasked with making sure we lend appropriately. So we shouldn't lend to businesses that are using you know, fossil fuels. And so you've seen some fines in the press about banks that have been into mining and different things. And this is going to only get into more of a conversation regarding what it is we actually lend to. So I think that's going to pick up a lot of momentum. And the banks will be tasked with making sure that they are seem to be encouraging borrowers and customers to actually um, achieve certain ESG goals. The best way for us to do that is to give some form of discounted loan. And that's where I think we'll see a lot more in the next 12 to 24 months. Brilliant. And whilst we've got you here, it's it's really good to hear your perception, your your perspective. Are there any myths or misconceptions that care providers often encounter when it comes to financial planning that all business growth that you can maybe share some share some views on? Or mid bust. Um, some people are fine to approach banks. Yeah, <laughs> I think we're quite scary. Yeah, but I think if you can find a lender that understands your business or your sector, that's a big plus. So it is good to go and have an early conversation. It's good to have. Does it cost you anything to meet up with somebody and discuss your future plans and what it is you want to try and achieve? And find out what it is you might have to do to get that to get to that point. And then come back and just keep 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 that dialogue going. And we've done a lot of business where that's maybe taken 12, 18 months of conversations till somebody gets to the point where they're ready. Even if a care provider's in trouble, they they said, look, this is this is this is my loan. I'm gonna have some problems paying it. Yeah. Or actually just open it up and say it. Just yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, we're, we're all invested in it. You know, it's their business, but the bike's actually invested in it as well. So we're as much involved in that respect. So we want to try and help. We want to see if there's a way we can assist to get that problem, you know, improved so that we can get back onto an even keel. And, and you have to have those conversations. There is quite a lot the bikes can do mm. if they feel that, that there is a merit to doing it. Um, the last thing we would do is want to foreclose on anybody, especially in a care environment. That's you know that's the last thing you'd ever want to be uh, doing. So you usually try and find a way to to at least agree a way forward. It might not be satisfactory for both of you, but at least you've got something to aim for. So I would think you should always speak to your a bank. Um, you should also speak to financial advisors and firm of accountants, again, that probably understands the sector, that really gets what the sector is all about and all the key KPIs and metrics that are in that. And it's a lot easier to have that kind of conversation. 
And quite often these people can bring comparables as well because they'll have dealt with other clients. And that's really a value. You know, I had a client that did this. Have you thought of that? These sometimes can produce really good outcomes. You would only get that speaking to the right people. And for someone who's maybe it's the first time they're going to expand the business, go for Seek Island, are there any questions that they should be asking uh, whilst they're choosing the right partner for them? The balance is really how much risk are you willing to take and how much risk do you want somebody else to take to allow you to achieve what you want to achieve? To say there are lots of minds out there. Um, we actually we all tend to speak to each other because we're in a very niche kind of sector. So, um, and I know there's certain bikes of appetite at a certain level, and other ones are a bit more conservative, and there's various iterations in between. So, you know, if you don't have a lot of money to put into the business, but you really want to try and justify that acquisition by getting somebody in to believe that story, mm -hmm. then you might have to borrow a lot more than maybe a traditional bike would do. So are you willing to take that gamble? Uh, and are you willing to pay the price for having that level of, um, you know, risk taken by somebody else? Do you want to get somebody into pay equity and be giving up a little bit of your ownership because you're getting somebody in with cash? Um, all these things need to be considered because... Quite often we do get approached from people who have nothing to put in and they think because um, the business is worth X that they're paying less for it that we will just give them 100%. I think those days are long gone. <laughs> awesome. There's a special bonus question that we're asking all our guests this season and that is, if you were to forget about the how, in an ideal world, what is one thing that you would implement in the care sector to make a positive difference? Right. I would um, depoliticize it. I would take all the politics out of it. I would remove all that, um, this five-year cycle of somebody coming in and promising this and that. And just remove all that and actually end up with a more collaborative cross-party representation for health and social care, which I believe they've just done in Germany, where all the parties now sit aligned and have signed up to improving health and social care as a collective rather than as a, um, a sort of bragging right kind of approach. And I think that would probably be the one thing I would buy and do. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Derek. Really appreciate it. Great. Enjoyed it. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to Tea with Toby. If you found this episode useful, don't forget to share it with one of your colleagues from the sector. And if you have any questions, drop me an email at team at If you're new to Tea with Toby, do check out previous episodes in the season and also look out for future ones. Tea with Toby is produced by specialist care sector digital marketing agency, Prosperwell, caring for the brands that care for others. Tea with Toby, 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 tea with Toby.